Welcome to Never Marry a Mitford, the podcast about pop culture from the past and historical heroines. I'm Amelia. I'm Sarah. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing Taylor Jenkins Reid's novel, Daisy Jones and the Six, and our historical heroine will be Stevie Nicks, front woman of Fleetwood Mac. is a novel by Taylor Jenkins Reid which explores the fictional band Daisy Jones and the Six. So I loved this novel. Amelia and I both listened to it as an audiobook which is a really interesting experience because the novel is almost written like an oral history so there's lots of different voices coming in in different times of the narrative so what you end up with is a really cohesive story about how this band came together and how it fell apart with lots of different viewpoints. <laughs> Amelia what did you think of the novel? I really liked it. Sometimes I find that there are books that should be listened to as audiobooks. Oh my god, um, yeah, definitely. This is one of them. This is hundred percent one of them. I also find that sometimes it's novels such as novels, ha ha. The work of noted fictional TV presenter Alan Partridge are hundred percent books <laughs> I would listen to as an audiobook. If yes, you the want opus to of Alan Partridge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and anything that Rich Diawadi's written basically also should be listened to as an audiobook. <laughs> real thing about listening to memoirs as audiobooks so I've listened to Michelle Obama's Becoming as an audiobook and Elizabeth Day's How to Fail as an audiobook and I think there's something about listening to somebody tell their story that I find just really really relaxing and almost like a documentary rather than a memoir just, yeah I just think it's a really interesting experience and that's why I recommend listening to uh, anything the, uh, that Alan, pa- Alan Partridge has, has written because uh, it's a similar voice <laughs> Um, but no, I, I I completely agree. I think that there's something that often I will seek out. Um, like I would seek out if it's a, like I haven't listened to Becoming yet, but it's on my list. And there's a few that you kind of think actually this is I would like to hear you tell me your story, especially if they're a well-known person. You already know what they sound like, really. So you're kind of going to imagine their voice anyway as you're reading. So you think, oh, I might as well let you do it. So I'm going to, I'm going to get the audiobook. Yeah. So I also listened to Daisy Jones and the Six as an audiobook, and I think it makes it a totally different experience mm-hmm. because you get all these individual voices there, and you can visualize all these different people, mm-hmm. and the way that it's performed comes to life a lot more. And you kind of get the tension. It helps to build the tension that's mounting in this band of all these people that have had this massive blowout fight and never spoke to each other again. Yeah. After this one incident. Well, not after, like, as a result of one incident that had been powered for out, like, for years and years and it, this bubbling resentment. And I think as well, it's interesting when the way that it's presented is all these conflicting stories. Like, one person will say this thing and then the other person will be like, this happened and it's totally different from what the other person said. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's re- it really, really works as well because there are so many storylines going on in Daisy Jones and Six. Like yeah. the novel implies that the story is about Daisy and it's not at all. It's about the band. Yeah. And like it's about all the different elements of the band and the tension in the band is that Daisy Jones is the lead and the six are kind of ignored. And this way of telling their story is a really nice way of bringing them all together. And actually, honestly, Daisy is the one I was least interested in by the end. It was her bandmate, Karen. Mm. who is much more radical and interesting who I was really really interested in so Daisy is in a will they won't they would we call it a toxic relationship with her bandmates yeah because they kind of hate each other but then they come to realize that actually they're probably in love and Billy who is married and yeah and he's very dedicated to his wife as well that he's deeply in love with his wife but he also is like oh I think I might also be in love with Daisy because yeah. it's possible, you know, it's possible for people to be in love with two two people at the same time, and yeah. it and so he's really conflicted. But they kind of hate each other as well when they first meet. 
Daisy's also brought in the Six was a pre-existing band, and they had had enormous success complete on their own. Daisy was also brought, then brought in to kind of monopolize on this huge success, and the band rightfully take umbrage with that because they feel like they've been foisted to one side by the record producers they're like you've got to get this woman involved and mm. daisy does she causes a rift between the band but she I, she no she doesn't cause a rift she opens a rift that was there already she just blows it wide open like eddie who i can't remember what eddie plays but eddie oh probably something like the keyboard yeah no karen's keys i can't remember eddie's no he's rhythm guitar and he has always had like had an issue with Billy that he talked regularly about this issue with Billy that he's had and, like Billy's too controlling it's a band thing that Billy's in charge and Billy's the um, lead guitarist yes who, and him and Daisy have this like kind of really passionate on stage chemistry which then boils over into their songwriting together but also then boils over into their personal relationship with yeah. each other and I think listening to it an audiobook I felt like I was listening to a documentary I think somebody else has described it like this as well as it's almost like listening to behind the music 30 years later yeah. of them telling the entire story story of the band and it was just really pleasurable as well and I'd like to talk about the iconography of a pop star Mm. and in the way that there is a a lot it's not just the voices of the bandmates that are in there as well a lot of their friends come in and then they also have this really interesting moment where they bring in the person who used to run the Daisy Jones fan club and how the young teenage girls who looked up to Daisy who's a front woman and she's like this typical like 70s long hair really cool girl who's obviously got this really traumatic personal life she's a to drugs she has really impulsive affairs with different men she gets married to this horrible guy she has an affair with Billy when he's married and it's her bandmate and all these terrible things are going on behind the scenes which only adds to her glamour but then you have the fandom around Daisy is really interesting because they project so much onto her of what it means to be like a feminist woman in the 70s onto the way Daisy behaves and there's this really lovely moment where Daisy reflects on that and says like how much strength it gave her out how that gave her almost like an identity and I found that just a really really moving examination of what it must be like to have fans and have a public persona when you yourself feel so lost and unrooted yeah I agree and I think sometimes the book can tip ever so slightly into cliche zones of okay this is what rock stars did they got addicted to cocaine they went to rehab they they smashed up hotel rooms you know all the stuff that you're like tick 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 this is what rock stars did but I kind of think it sometimes needs the cliches for you to sort of believe that they were a band around at the time and you really do yeah it was so pleasurable to listen to yeah and I think you really do believe that they're a real band like I kept going they're like oh this song sounds good oh can I look it up and then you're like no because they're fake like they're not a real band but they're and I think it's obviously um there's a reason why we've chosen Stevie Nicks as a heroine this week is because the book is clearly influenced by Fleetwood Mac and their breakup mm. and this, at the end of the audiobook which is obviously something you lose out if you read it they had they've done a version of Honeycomb which is their sort of like big single that like launched the band and they talk about Honeycomb a lot and the when they play it they've, they've constructed a, a version of it that for the, the, the audiobook and it is uncannily similar to Landslide and that's what I imagined it was going to sound like anyway from the description in the book you're like okay this is clearly it's going to sound like Landslide by Fleetwood Mac and it does it really does and you're kind of like okay that's exactly what I thought it was going to so the the parallels are obvious and I'm sure we'll talk about this more when we talk about Stevie but the parallels are really clear between this is a a sort of a fictionalized version ish of Fleetwood Mac but Taylor Jenkins retakes it and she twists it so there's an incredible twist that you 
don't see coming. Yeah, and I. So the twist, I, I didn't feel the book even needed a twist. No, but when it happens, you're like, whoa. And yeah. I, when it actually comes about, you're like, I felt really emotional about the whole thing, and it completely yeah. alters how you see the rest of the book because yes, they basically definitely. spoiler alert stop listening if you haven't read the book but basically the twist is that all the everybody who's been speaking has been speaking to Billy's daughter Julia so there's a moment where like so this they've had this kind of like dis not disinterested but passive voice that's been like just relating facts about the band and how it was and then she there's a, a, a little intro saying okay this the, there's an, an account now that I the author uh, I'm going to discuss and I'm going to write our conversation between Daisy and myself completely verbatim and then she's like oh, I remember being there and you realise you're like oh my god they've been talking to Julia this whole time yeah, yeah. and it's 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 not in terms of you know it's not a massive twist in terms of what it actually is but what it does is it makes you think oh my god like so Julia has had to listen to her dad talk about this and Daisy talk about this and it makes Daisy's conversation so much more heartbreaking as well because part of her upset about Billy is that breaking up this family mm-hmm. that is happy and you know Billy needs them and loves his family and then when you realize that Daisy's been telling this whole story to Billy's daughter who was one of the people that she was so concerned about it just mm. completely alters and I thought it was a really really clever piece of writing that is, is a heartbreaking and I thought for such a like a really small thing you're like oh, okay it's the daughter it packs a real huge emotional punch and just you don't see it coming at all no no I I also think it alters the way and the care that Billy and Daisy tell their story Mm. to Julia. What I think it does is makes you reassess the truth of what they're saying and the perspective of what they're saying. So so essentially when it's revealed that it's Julia, you realise that they're telling this story from 40 years on and Mm. like they are looking back and reflecting and they've clearly had a lot of time to think about it. They've had these entirely different careers. So at the end you discover that the band broke up. None of them really stayed in the public eye apart from Karen who toured with loads of different bands, never had a family, then retired when she was kind of like 70 to live in the mountains. And, you know, that's what she wanted. She wanted to be on tour her entire life. Whereas like Daisy doesn't do that and neither does Billy. Billy goes away with Camilla, his wife, to raise their family and then Camilla dies when she's still quite young. And and I think when you find all that out, that also impacts on the way Billy is telling the story is that he was always going to stay with Camilla. He was always going to have this family life with his daughter who he's telling this story to. He's heading towards that narrative because it's already done. Whereas with Daisy... I think she's also being very considerate to Julia and Mm. she's telling the story almost that Julia wants to hear in that your dad loved you. He was never going to leave you. I knew that. And I think, no, you probably didn't know that at the time. It's not it's not untruthful. It's just a different version of how everything happened. Yeah, and I think as well, because it's everybody looking back over 40 years, stuff obviously gets distorted. Yeah. But, and that's why it's an interesting book as well, because you couldn't, you kind of think, okay, well, what's, who's misremembered? And this is why the little anomalies between people's stories are interesting. It's like, well, who's, who's remembered it wrong? Or who's changed it in the interim years? Because then there'll be, I can't remember a specific example, but they'll be like, oh, Billy said that he was going to do, like, he's doing this, blah, blah, blah. And then Billy will say, no, I didn't do that. But like, there'll be a different, a completely different, two people telling different stories. And it changes everything about how you see, how you see the, the book, how you see the world of the book, how you see this band. And the, the and there's very little colour outside of the, the written accounts that the characters give mm-hmm. there's no preamble there's no like there's little bits but it's very factual it's very straight down the line so yeah Karen 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 is I've got 
is the keyboard player and she's really interesting because she's the only other woman in the band she's kind of like tomboyish and sort of one of the boys in a way and in the recording she's played by Judy Greer who's like everyone's sassy best friend in everything Mm -hmm. but she's amazing she's really good and but Karen's interesting because she yeah as Sarah said Karen's sort of main thing in life is that she wants to stay on the road and she wants to tour and she doesn't want to have a family so she yeah she ends up having an affair with Graham who is Billy's brother and the other guitarist in the band and Graham is deeply in love with her and she's kind of in love with him I think she is she is but not to perhaps the same extent Graham had had this yearning for her for he talks about it he discusses it had this yearning for her for a lot longer than she did and she kind of just eventually gives in and sleeps with him and then they conduct this secret affair at the same time as like Billy and Daisy are kind of dancing around each other there's a different affair going on in the band and and that's another interesting thing is that that Billy and Daisy had no awareness about this like at all and so because everything is focused on them and they're very much placed as the front men like you know and everything and that's why Eddie gets angry with them as well it's like okay they're the they're the, the, the front and the center of everything plus we have to deal with all their drama all the time yeah. and then there's an interesting bit about um the photo shoot that they do mm. for their first album cover whereas when they're Daisy Jones and the Six is a complete thing and the band are justifiably pissed off that the photo that gets used is just Daisy and Billy and then mm. they're put on the back of the sleeve and they're just like well there's other we're here as well but that's a side tangent so yeah Karen gets pregnant by Graham and Graham is very much like let's settle I want to do this and Karen's just like no it was not what I want from my life and she actually kind of tortures herself over it she goes to talk to Camilla and she goes to talk to her about it and she's and it's it's difficult because Karen's like look I know I don't want it but I don't know what to do mm-hmm. and oh then Cam- and then Camilla's like well there you've kind of answered your own question in a way is that you don't want it so don't do it and mm-hmm. and and then Graham is really angry with her and so it's this interesting sort of thing of being like taking down the one other woman in the band and potentially forcing her into this role that she's not suited for and that she doesn't want yeah. and it's not a lifestyle that she wants. So I think the characters are all really richly drawn, which is really interesting and I think it makes them, you feel a lot for them even when they're being dickheads as well. Yeah, absolutely. i also like to quickly talk about one of Taylor Jenkins Reid's other books called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which is a story set from the 1940s to the present day about a film star called Evelyn Hugo, but she wants to tell her story before she dies. And is kind of like this towering icon of cinema and she hires a young writer from a magazine and she tells her her story from the 1940s all through her and the book is broken up as kind of like her seven seven husbands underneath that is a an affair and a the huge love of her life is her fellow film star who's a woman and kind of like actually the seven husbands are just markers of time and the relationship which is running all the way through it is is Evelyn's love for Celia St. James who's another film star kind of of the same stature as Evelyn and what I found a really so I read basically after I finished Daisy Jones and the Six I just wanted to read anything that Taylor Jenkins Reid had written because I enjoyed Daisy Jones and the Six so much and I read this and I think it's a better book in a weird way just because of the depth that Jenkins Reid goes to 
to to sh- to bring a kind of fictional famous person to life and I really love that I love it when writers write about fictional famous people and kind of really place them in history and you can so see the career of this woman if you even have like a working knowledge of the history of Hollywood how her career would have evolved and where she would have stood and so Evelyn's got a quite a similar career to Rita Hayworth she's from an American Cuban background and she kind of has the career of also like Marilyn Monroe and she draws in all these influences and it's just such a brilliant read if you love deep but fun retellings of history or different versions of history or how somebody's history could have fitted into our own history and that's what I also feel that she does really really well with Daisy Jones and the Six is what Amelia was saying she places these characters so firmly in our own history and in our own history of popular culture that they could have totally existed and like we were just looking uh, before we started this episode and the top search of Daisy Jones and the Six is, is it a real band because it just feels like it should be it feels real yeah absolutely and I, I kept going like oh this song this song sounds nice I'm going to look it up and you're like no you can't look it up on Spotify they're not real someone's made them yeah. up and, and I think that makes the ending so satisfying is that we get to know what actually happened to them yeah and are they interesting as well that none of them decided to stay like they were also kind of traumatized by this experience mm-hmm. that they're like I don't want to be in a band anymore I'd never I'd never want to go through this again and yeah. like for the most part, it does sound like they're being pulled this way, that way, you know, and you think, oh, wow, megastardom, what have you got to moan about? Um, but then, yeah, they, it kind of delves into these people that are sad and lonely and being dragged around the world with people that aren't friend, like, don't like them that much. And, they, mm-hmm. you know, they're warring with each other and that's difficult and hard work. But I, ha- I also have a stupid recommendation. Well, it's not stupid. It's just a, a comedy rec- recommendation kind of based off this. So there's a programme called Documentary Now, which takes the piss out of all sorts of different documentaries. There's a version of Grey Gardens. It's written by and produced by Fred Armisen and Bill Hader, both of whom were originally on Saturday Night Live and they so there's an amazing one called Gentle and Soft the Blue Jean Committee and it's the it's a <laughs> similar kind of thing about this band at the same era who at the end of the 70s who have this catastrophic fight and then they don't they are on one in day and they and so they have to stop being a band they were two mates from Chicago in a similar way they take these cliches of the only thing that could be successful in the, at the end of the 70s was if you sounded like you were from California so <laughs> they're like but we want to do Chicago rock and the record producer are like no you have to sound like you're from California so they're like okay so we're going to release this California rock album that we don't really know much about they do talking heads with people like Haim and they're like oh my god yeah the Blue Jean Committee was so iconic like I can't believe they stopped and it's amazing because it's like Bill Hader's character um, is um, like living in this really fancy house in Beverly Hills and he's like going around his swimming pool being like oh yeah no I'm going to cut that tree down also fun fact it's the same house that Renata Klein lives in in Big Little Lies I put two and two together I was like I've seen this swimming pool before and then I was like it's Renata Klein's house um, and then Fred Armisen's character like has gone back to be a sausage packer in Chicago and they meet each other again when they're being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and it's just like it's it's such a like a kind of pervasive thing in pop culture to look at these bands that like kind of hated each other and again it's all sort of comes from Fleetwood Mac stuff yeah. of like these bands that hate like there's warring between the bands but they've got to go on stage and these are two really different ways of looking at it like mm. the one is obviously like daft 
but it's really funny I recommend watching it and then the other one is this like beautiful novel about all the human problems that people in bands go through but it's the same thing in Gentle and Soft is that it's two men who sort of fell out with each other and they realised that they kind of didn't have they, their artistic similarities weren't the same anymore and they weren't working as a band so the base of it it's the same like obviously like the, the blue jean committee one has bill hader trying to explain why falsetto is actually like a really manly form of singing and it, it's really it is really funny but it's just these two things that are almost yeah i kind of identical ideas is that it's it's hard when you're in, it can really break your heart when you're in a band and it can completely blow relationships apart and also a band at that time as well it's like a 70s thing i mean it's happened throughout history you know bands break up it's really devastating like when Zayn left One Direction obviously that was <laughs> horrific but it ha- and it happens but it just kind of it's interesting that it's this focus on late 70s California type bands and the rock star thing and breaking up and never speaking to each other again after one explosive event Mm-mm. so yeah I just thought that's a, a recommendation it's really silly but I, I think it's it's good one to have I finished Daisy Jones and then I watched that like not that long afterwards and you kind of yeah. like, oh I see a lot of similarities between the two in a weird way <laughs> This week's heroine is Fleetwood Mac frontwoman Stevie Nicks. Stevie was born in 1948 and she's an American singer-songwriter. She's best known for her work as a vocalist and songwriter for Fleetwood Mac and her own chart-stopping solo career. Collectively, her work as a member of Fleetwood Mac and as a solo artist has produced over 40 top 50 hits and she sold over 140 million records, making her one of the best-selling music acts of all time. In addition, she became the first female artist inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice and she was inducted this year by Harry Styles in a very loud blue suit. <laughs> so, Amelia, why have we picked Stevie Nicks as our heroine this episode? Well, having just had the conversation we've had about Daisy Jones, Stevie is definitely the inspiration for Daisy Jones. And mm. I think that she is an icon. She's an absolute icon of music because she's so distinctive and her style, like, you know, her clothes, everyone kind of, we want to dress like Stevie Nicks. Like, she's got this incredible onstage persona and she writes her music with like such heart and real beauty and, and devastation and I just think she is a legend in the like the biggest sense of the word you know there is a reason why she's one of the top selling artists of all time that you know she she is an absolute legend and that's kind of why I wanted to choose her as a heroine because I just think yeah she's incredible she's obviously been in the news a lot more than normal because of her friendship with Harry Styles Yes. Can you see the influence of Stevie Nicks on Harry Styles' sound or feud as well? Absolutely. I definitely think in the first in his first album more so than in well, we've only had one new song as of yesterday at time of recording, which is definitely not it's it's more dancey. But I think I definitely you can see it in the kind of like the the sort of guitar led music that he had in his first album. And he has talked openly on a regular basis about how much he loves Stevie Nicks. Like he brought her a carrot cake to a concert once. Mm. Um, but this is what I think is interesting is that you know she's had this really long career and then people are drawn to her so it's not just Harry Styles like she is a big fan of Lord she's a big fan of Time um, there's an amazing quote that I read and I can't remember what article it was from but it was something like oh yeah Stevie will only see men if Stevie wants to see men if there are men if there are men around and Stevie doesn't want to see them they're not allowed within her field of vision so she's amazing. like she's like one of these people that surrounds herself with this kind of like and every Everyone's like Stevie's a w- got witchy vibes, and she has, and she kind of surrounds herself with all these female performers, and then Harry Styles. But it, she's had this really long career, 
and new artists are still drawn to talk about her and they're still drawn they want to you know people want to emulate her they want to emulate her sound they want to emulate what she was like and she is extraordinary like her singing is extraordinary again Fleetwood Mac is has definitely been the the basis and of what happens in Daisy Jones and the Six because it's about you know these like so Stevie joined Fleetwood Mac in 1975 with her then boyfriend importantly Lindsay Buckingham so they both joined the band at the same time and then Rumours which is the band the second album that came out after they both joined was the best-selling album that year and I think Fleetwood Mac are also one of those bands where I didn't realize I knew as many Fleetwood Mac songs as I did oh yeah absolutely everyone kind of names it and you're like oh yeah that's a Fleetwood Mac song that's Fleetwood Mac song they have so many many of which she wrote herself and Mm. you know she like a lot of this is to do with her and her magnetism as a performer and her talents as a songwriter again she's the only woman to have been inducted twice into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame once is a member of Fleetwood Mac and then once as herself well herself this year Mm. I think there's something interesting here about like the renewable energy of an icon like Mm. I feel like there are some rock stars that I just don't I don't quite understand how they maintain their energy to become kind of like a legendary status. And I think maybe that's because they're domin- that that kind of canon that we talk about of rock stars is dominated by men. However, I think there are some exceptions. I think David Bowie is an exception. But I think Stevie Nicks is the one that I am drawn to the most because, and I think it is, yes, because she's a woman, but also because there are other signifiers that she has, like the, like you mentioned, the clothes and the hair and the style. It's something that is so renewable and so like influential over and over and over again because it's so it's much more creative as well. Yeah. So like an example is that Stevie wrote Dreams, which is one probably one of the most well-known Fleetwood Mac songs. If you kind of think, oh, what's like the most famous Fleetwood Mac song, you probably think that's the one that comes to mind, I would say. The band lived a life of difficulty, you know, and the pain comes out in a lot of their songs. It's a lot about like songs about people cheating on other people. Like, for example, Stevie Nicks and Mick Fleetwood had an affair, again, like Daisy and Billy. Mm. And Fleetwood was married at the time. And you kind of think, and so she said about this, never in a million years could you have told me that that would happen. Everybody was angry because Mick was married to a wonderful girl that had two wonderful children. I was horrified. I love these people. I loved his family. I mean, that's the story of Daisy Jones and the Six. So you kind of, she is an influence for so many different things. And I think as well that she just exudes this incredible energy and incredible creativity and manages to put so much heartbreak into all her songs. Mm. And I think she's just magnetic and magic. And then you can see that the influence carries on. So like Haim are writing songs and you think, yeah, I definitely can hear Fleetwood Mac-y type things in this. And she kind of like gathers all these new artists together and this sort of makes them her babies again. Yeah, she's and, a mentor. Yeah. She's a mentor for these people. And I think that's actually really, really admirable because it's holding the door open for a new generation to come through and giving them her wisdom as well. That's definitely how it feels with Harry Styles. Like yeah. it's a kind of like reciprocal relationship that she renews from him and he renews from her. And it's just... And she um, has even said like, oh, Harry's like this, uh, he's my tall adopted son is what mm. she's described him as. And I think... I don't want to make it too much about him because you don't, like, it's not about him. But it's kind of, yeah, it's interesting that these two people are kind of, like, drawn together. Mm. And, again, she has also suffered a lot. Like, you know, she, she had a cocaine addiction. She, you know, but she got better. And, you know, it's it. she's had to deal with a lot of demons and a lot of pain and sadness and putting all of that and how you can put that into music and kind of use your pain to, to kind of, like, create something beautiful and I think as well like the uh, the way that she looks 
is part of it because it you know that she has this the the iconic vision of her with all the curly hair and yeah you know all the the fringing and all this amazing stuff that's come back again and again and again like people do a similar thing and yeah exactly Taylor Swift does it everybody does it and yeah and then also as a solo artist she's incredible mm. so she she works both ways and I think yeah she's a hero and when talking about Stevie Nicks solo career as well I think we should talk about we've talked a lot about her image and her influence but maybe a little bit more about her music so The Edge of 17 is my all-time favorite Stevie Nicks song I love it I love any cover of it I love it when it's sampled I like and it feels like a song that is timeless in a in a way that if it came out and if it was done by Haim and it was their original single, it would still have as much power and punch as it does because it's just a phenomenal, it's got a phenomenal riff, which again is sampled in, in Destiny's Child's Bootylicious. And just that ability to write songs of that quality consistently is just something which she is just incredible at. And I, I remember first discovering that song when Lindsay Lohan did a cover of it. Oh my God, I did not know that. Yeah, it's it, and it's it's a really interesting cover because at the time Lindsay Lohan was going was doing her solo career, her music solo career. She had some really good songs, but she did like a cover of The Age of Seventeen, and it had this kind of like wrought pain to it. And then listening to Stevie Nicks' version, which is a lot smoother than when Lindsay Lohan performed it live, was a really interesting experience because I. Even when Lindsay Lohan was singing it, I was like, this song is amazing. And then discovering there was an original version of it was fantastic. I still watch that performance of Lindsay Lohan, actually, because I just think it, what a moment as your star is starting to fall to sing that song as well. Because the song is about not yet reaching adulthood mm. or not not yet becoming the person that experience will allow you to become. Yeah, yeah I, it's just a really, really interesting moment and an interesting person to cover that song as well yeah I agree and yeah I, I love that I, lo- I do love that song but also it's just from that really amazing bit that my my prior my first knowledge of it was from that bit where Joan Cusack dances on the tables in School of Rock and <laughs> it's really good <laughs> but Stevie also wrote Landslide which is probably one of my favorite songs like ever yeah um, I love that song it's so devastating and beautiful and it's one of those ones that you just listen and you're like I'm gonna listen to it again and cry um (laughs) it's so I love I just and that's the thing is that again it's this beautiful beautiful melody that kind of feels like timeless and you can listen Mm. to it again and again and that's why you know the the band are back together they're touring there's rumors that they'll do there's rumors haha um that they'll do Glastonbury and despite the fact that they've had you know they have difficulties they don't speak to each other often it's not always easy but they are persevering and a lot of that is down to her and why people love them so much is like down to her being such an amazing front woman this episode of No Mario Mitford you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mario Mitford and leave us comments on Apple Podcasts we love your comments so please leave them you can also listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify please leave us a review as well because it makes us more visible thank you Bye.